Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. So this is a Christmas story, of course. It happened long ago across a great ocean from here in the land called Israel. And it was a dark winter night. And there were hundreds of sheep asleep in the field that night. And it was all quiet except for the occasional bleat of a sheep. And there were a few shepherds there. And they were gazing up at the night sky. The stars were twinkling frosty in the sky that night. And there was an old shepherd named Elias. He had spent his whole life out in these fields, ever since he was a boy. And there was a young man, 20 years old, named Judas. And Judas, he, well, he was kind of a grumpy young man. And you can understand why. Come on forward, you guys, all the way up. The shepherds were out in the field that night, and the young boy, Judas, well, his father and his uncle had been captured by the Roman soldiers. You see, the Romans had come to Israel, and they had taken his father and his uncle, and they had put him in prison for almost no reason at all. And Judas was angry about that, and he wished that someone would come, a great king perhaps, or a master. Some called him the Messiah. And he wished that he would come and drive the Romans out of their land. And he was looking sadly at the sheep that were sleeping before him on the fields that night. And he said to Elias, he said, the lambs will die soon, but the, the ewes, the mother sheep, will live on. And old Elias, he couldn't hear very well. He said, what? He was getting kind of old. And, and so Judas said again, he said, the lambs will be sheared next summer or the, the, the ewes will be sheared, but the lambs will be sacrificed in the temple at Passover. And he said, lamps and bears? What? And then he said right into his ear, he said, the lambs, they'll die at Passover in the temple. Oh, Elias said, Passover. He said, Passover. He said, I wish I could have been there that first Passover. The great master Moses was there. He saved our people. You see, Angels of God had come to drive evil out of Egypt. And they passed over the Jewish people because of their love for God. And he looked at the lambs and he said, they'll sacrifice the lambs in the temple at Passover. That was the job of the shepherds, was to raise these lambs for sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem, which was close to there. There was also a little shepherd boy, just a boy nearby, and he was resting and listening to Judas and Elias speak, and he said, sadly, I don't think I'd like to be a lamb. And then they were quiet, and they huddled with their cloaks against the cold winter night, and they lay there looking out at the dark, twinkling sky. They were used to the blackness of the night out there and the cold, and they kept their eyes out for thieves and for wolves so they wouldn't lose any of their sheep. When all of a sudden, the light filled the sky like a thousand or a million oil lamps were burning so brightly they were blinded by its brilliance. And when they could finally see, there was a man who had come down from the sky and he was all full of light. He was dressed in light. His face was shining with light. And he said in a voice like ringing bells, he said, do not be afraid. And, and they couldn't speak. They looked at this man and he said, tonight, he said, the Messiah is born. Here in the town of David, 
that was Bethlehem where they were. He said, the son of David is born, the deliverer. And Judas said, the Messiah has come at last to save our people. But they couldn't, they couldn't speak. And, and the angel, this man full of light, he said, you will know by this sign, the baby is born in a manger here in the town of David. And they thought, what a strange sign. But still they could not speak. For all of a sudden, as the angel lifted his arms, there were hundreds, thousands of angels filling the sky. Millions of angels, whole armies and kingdoms of God's angels filled the sky. And they began to sing. In one great voice of joy and love, they sang out, glory to God. They sang, glory to God in the highest. Over and over again, they sang with so much joy The sound echoed over the valleys like thunder and rumbled like a great waterfall tumbling over the towns until it filled the whole world with that love of God and the angels. And they sang and sang and the shepherds sang. Their hearts were filled with wonder. They were crying with joy until finally the singing began to fade. And the angels too began to fade from the night sky. Slowly at first, until only the twinkling of the stars was left in the sky above them. Still, they could not speak for a long time. Finally, old Elias spoke up and he said, My friends, he said, we have witnessed what our ancestors and the prophets only dreamed of. And all Judas could say was, angels. And the little shepherd boy, he said, God's angels. And Elias said, but something more. He said, the angel spoke of a sign, a little manger with the Messiah child. See, there were many troughs where the cattle gathered outside Bethlehem. But there was only one manger that Elias could think of in a little cave, a stable just outside the town of Bethlehem. And before they could say another word, old Elias, he was fast for an old man. He took off running down the hill flying with his cloak flapping behind him. And the shepherd boys, they took off after him. They could hardly keep up. And when they finally caught up, there he was at the entrance to the stable again with tears streaming down his face. He was looking inside. There was this glowing light. And of course, the little baby was there. And there were animals. And there was father and mother, Joseph and Mary, gathered there. And there was the Christ child, a little Messiah born shining like a, like a star, like the sun, but with this peaceful light. And slowly, quietly, they went inside, and, and Elias, he looked at the mother. She was like an angel herself. He looked at the little Christ child shining like the sun, and the little shepherd boy, he said, angels, we, we saw hundreds, thousands of angels filling the sky, singing, Glory to God, the highest. They told us of the Christ child. And old Elias looked at the mother and he said, God has entrusted you with his own son, the son of David. And they stayed there for what felt like a very long time until finally it was time to go. Elias said, we will pray for you. And he motioned the shepherds. It was time to go. So quietly they left the stable. And of course they had seen the Christ, although they did not know it yet. And nor were they quiet about what they saw. 
they spoke to it and sang songs to everyone all over Bethlehem and far across the land they heard of the Christ child being born that night. And the very best part, like old Elias said, is something more. You see, right now, the Christ child is being born again. Not as a little baby. Right now, he's being born as the spirit of God's love in your own heart and in mine. And at Christmas time, and all over this world, that love of God and Christ is filling this earth and beyond with that infinite love of God forever. Blessed Christmas, everyone. Did you all like the story? <laughs> well, happy Christmas, everyone. You know, for many years we have been saying, soon we'll have a temple where we can all sit together instead of spilling out into many rooms. And so Divine Mother's Christmas present to us is this temple. And it's really a Christmas present because it's in this temple, in our own hearts, when we concentrate on it, that the Christ consciousness will be born within us. Of course, he can be born in any place, but we come into the temple together and tomorrow we'll gather here in a large group and concentrate on trying to draw that Christ consciousness and that magnetism will increase our individual efforts. I'll read now from Rays of the One Light. What was the star of Bethlehem? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Divine vision is the opposite of worldly sight. Divine vision sees God's presence behind all outward appearances. Worldly sight sees appearances merely, coding even the blazing wisdom of a saint. A master to a worldly man is a human being with perhaps a slightly better attitude than the norm. The scriptures therefore strive to demonstrate how the divine consciousness, when openly active among men in the lives of great masters, must never be viewed as an expression of ordinary human consciousness. To seek the presence of divinity behind the life of a great master is to prepare oneself to recognize that same divinity also in lower manifestations until at last one beholds God everywhere. Thus it was that Paramahansa Yogananda on observing his new disciple Swami Kriyananda, struggling with the contrast between the guru's human appearance and his inner divine reality, looked at him deeply one day and said, if you only knew my consciousness. The story of the birth of Jesus Christ contains an account in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter two, of the star of Bethlehem. 
the wise men who sought Jesus in his manger, said, We have seen his star in the east, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. This account was important, for it showed all mankind that Jesus was a divine incarnation and no ordinary man, that he brought divine consciousness to earth, even though he would play a human role among human beings, and that others too, by receiving him in their inner hearts, would acquire power, as the Bible puts it, to become the sons of God. The scriptures enjoin us to meditate on the lives of great souls, that we may discover our own latent spiritual greatness, as the Bhagavad Gita puts it in the fourth chapter. Who knows the truth touching my births on earth and my divine work when he quits the flesh, puts on its load no more, falls no more down to earthly birth. To me he comes, dear Prince. Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Welcome everyone to our Christmas Sunday service. And I'm going to just take a moment to be very grateful because we have with us today three of our dear family who are recovering from injury and so forth. And here they are with us. So we have Durga and Jyoti and Willie. And they're all here with us at Sunday service. So thank you. <laughs> They have, in their own ways, fought big battles to get here. And I also want to take a moment. This is our, I hope I don't embarrass you, our dear friend Ashtara, who has been with us since the summer and through the fall, and her visa, she's from Israel. So just like the wise men, she's returning to Israel. <laughs> and, um, and I hope you find the Christ consciousness there. But please stand and let us just bless you. She'll be leaving in a few days. It's been a joy to have you. read our reading from Whispers from Eternity. This is demand for the opening of the spiritual eye to find God in everything. My eyes are enthralled, O Father, with the beauty of earthly flowers, with life's passing scenes, and with the sailing silent clouds. 
Everywhere, all I see, hints at thy hidden presence. Open that eye in me which sees only thee. With that gaze, may I behold thee above, beneath, all around, within, and outside me. Teach me in all things to see only thee. Open in me that eye which beholds everywhere thy hidden but ever subtle, subtly reigning wonder. So we have a very profound and important topic today. What is the Star of Bethlehem? And when you go to the source, to the Bible, and you read about the wise men coming, I was amazed, so I always find it amazing. There are only five short verses in the whole Bible, only in St. Matthew, one little chapter that talks about the wise men coming, not in Luke or John or Mark, nothing. But there's just a few verses that say these wise men came from the east and they were following a star. And first they came to Jerusalem and they said, where is the king? We have seen his star. And Herod, who was the king of Israel at the time, he was disturbed by this. What is this king of Israel that these wise men are talking about? And he called the wise men to him. And he said, it is prophesied by the Jews that he will be born in Bethlehem. Go there and find him. And when you do, come back and tell me that I too may worship him, Herod said. Of course, these wise men knew better than that, but they followed the star and it shone over a little manger. They went and they worshiped. They gave him their gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And knowing that Herod was not honest, they immediately departed back to their country. That's all it says. And all the pageantry and all the Christmas cards, and everything from those few little verses. It's really amazing. You know, when you read the Bible, any great scripture, it's like condensed spirituality. You know, you can see you can spend a lifetime studying it. But it's hard to understand what that story means. But fortunately, Master explained it in a much more profound way. That makes sense. He said the three wise men were Babaji, Lahiri Mahashaya, and Sri Akteshwar, enlightened masters of India, who, and this, the spiritual eye is the star of Bethlehem. Through their total open cosmic awareness, they perceived that a great spiritual event was coming and it will take place in Israel. And fast forward a little bit to the future, to the present, the future at that time, Babaji and Christ, as Master tells us, have the commingled mission to guide the spiritual evolution of this planet, of humanity. And so, of course, Babaji and the Lahiri and Teshwar would be coming to welcome him because they had a work to do together and they were making that connection. And of course, it's always intriguing to think, well, where was Master? 
one can think about that, and I'm not going to say what I think, but very interesting. But so these wise men journeyed, and let's think about their journey. Lahiri, Babaji, Sri Akteshwar. They left their spiritual home. They left India, and they traveled. And you know, when you see the Christmas cards, they're on, a, on their camels, and they're looking down on Bethlehem. They had to travel 2,500 miles through what is today Pakistan and perhaps Afghanistan, Iraq and Iran and Syria. And finally they reached Jerusalem. That journey didn't take them days. It probably took them months or if not years. But they traveled and it was not an easy journey. But they had a mission. And that spiritual eye led them on and on and on until finally, can you imagine? They Think about it. They reached the little watering trough, the feeding trough, where the baby Christ lay, baby Jesus. And they knelt down, and their journey was half over. But they offered him their gifts. And of course, they were symbolic. Gold is the wealth of the, 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 gold, the wealth of the soul. Frankincense is the beautiful perfume of this world. Myrrh is bitter. It's the pain and suffering of the world. And they brought it all to, to Christ. And they knelt there and they worshiped. And then they turned and made that long journey back all the way back to India, taking again months, if not years. And the Master tells us that in the lost years of Jesus, from the time he was 13 till he began his mission at the age of 30, he returned the visit and he journeyed back all the way across all those nations, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, coming to India. And there are accounts in ancient text in India of this master from the West, Isa, who came and studied with the Himalayan masters. And then he made the journey back for his three years of his mission, which changed the world. But again, Christ and Babaji and our line of masters, it all began at that time. And we're here because of that of that. And then what can we learn from the journey of the wise men? Because it isn't just their story, it's our story too. We leave our home, our spiritual home, just as they left the wise men, they left India, their spiritual home. We leave our spiritual home in God and we descend into this world and we begin a long journey and it doesn't take us months or years. It takes us incarnations. Incarnations we travel, guided by however dimly it is, the spiritual eye that shines within us. And it guides us. And we tried this. We think, oh, maybe success will do it for me. And we go there, and the spiritual eye said, no, keep going. Maybe for, uh, fame and fortune will do it. And the spiritual eye says, no, keep going. Keep going. 
And one by one, incarnation after incarnation, we journey across perilous lands, across karmic minefields we journey, and we make our way ever closer, ever closer to the Christ child, the Christ consciousness within. It's not an easy journey. And then what happens as we begin to approach, we look and we say, what do I have to give? What do I have to give? And then we, when we come to that Christ child, when we feel Christ's presence within, that's the time to offer everything you have, the gold of your soul, the perfume of your uplifted thoughts, the tears of your suffering. Just give it all. And you know, we'll be having our long meditation here at Ananda Village tomorrow throughout the world of Ananda. Maybe you've if you're watching us, maybe you've already done it. But for those of us who will be having it, having the long meditation tomorrow, it's a journey too, isn't it? And sometimes we can get all tense and nervous. Try to remember it's about self-offering. And whenever you feel your mind wandering, whenever you feel you're getting a little bit spaced out or not focusing, remember self-offering, self-offering. Someone sent me recently a beautiful story about a man, a disciple of Master, called Horace Gray. If you remember, Swamiji talks about him in The New Path, his autobiography. He was a man who was severely afflicted with multiple sclerosis. He could barely walk and barely talk well. But he was utterly devoted to Master. And he's the one, Swami mentions uh, in The New Path, that Master commented about him, oh, look at Horace. He will get there in this lifetime. His devotion has pleased God. And then there was another disciple there who was kind of a proud man, I suppose. And he said, well, it must be a very simple kind of devotion because the man couldn't even speak. Horace couldn't hardly speak. And Master smiled and he said, oh yes, simple devotion. That's what pleases God. But someone sent me a story about Horace recently that at the end of his life, he was, he could barely move, he was very weak, but they brought him to Encinitas and he would he couldn't do anything anymore to serve Master, but he, they would put him on the lawn and he would lay there and he would pick weeds one by one in service to his guru because that's all he could do anymore. That's all he could offer him. And so in your life, in my life, in your meditations, in your service, in tomorrow's meditation, remember don't be hard on yourself. Don't get all uptight and not, so oh, I'm not a good meditator. I can't go deep. I can't keep focus. Just keep offering. Keep offering the little weeds of your restlessness, the little weeds of your indifference, the little weeds of your lack of concentration and focus. All of, offer all of those. In the Gita, it says even a leaf, if offered with devotion, I come personally and accept it. So 
remember, just like the wise man, we come to offer. We make a long journey, a perilous journey, and we come to offer the gifts we have to the Christ within. And if we do this, yes, at Christmas time, but all the time, and keep our spiritual eye, try to see past the form, try to see the beauty, try to see the God's presence in every single thing. You know, yesterday, Tatish and I were going through some old pictures. We were cleaning out a storeroom, many, many old pictures. And I looked at those pictures of times of my life, and some of them were not easy times. And I looked and I thought, gee, I wish I could have done it better. Because now you look back and you think, what was the problem? It was nothing. But at the time, it seemed so big. And I thought, I wish I could have done it better and not have been so upset when this happened or that happened. I wish I would have had faith that God would have made it turn out okay. But then I felt intuitively, no, that's not how it works, honey. The way it works is you have to live through it and see that it's not that important, and then you don't have to do it anymore. And then that's what this life is about. It's going through the stuff, going through our karma, and just saying, God, I offer this life to you. And maybe I'm a fool, but this seems hard to me now. And maybe in the future it won't seem hard to me, but now it does. And then we just keep living our life, living our life. And then we finish, just like Horace. We're very close, because if we have simple devotion, it will please God. And so let's remember tomorrow at the meditation and then throughout the coming year, walk in the footsteps of the wise men. Keep your spiritual eye open. Keep your heart open. Don't worry about your flaws or your shortcomings. God doesn't see those. He sees your effort. He sees each little weed that you pull, if that's all you have left to do. And I remember a few years ago, at a Christmas meditation, a long meditation, this poem came to me. And I I cherish it. And it felt like it was my higher self speaking to my lower self, or my average self, let's say, instead of lower. And the poem was, my higher self was saying to me, I can't promise that you'll finish, but I know that you'll begin to take each step before you with the thought that you will win. The prize above all others, your heart's most fervent prayer, to cast aside the ego and to see God everywhere. So for each of you, that's my prayer, that we can all cast aside the ego, and through the spiritual eye, the star of Bethlehem, that we see God everywhere.